I'd like to once again welcome everyone to the services this morning. It's so great to see you all here. Uh, even the masters were able to make it over this morning. Great to see you all back home, and uh, we appreciate everyone being here this morning. It's my prayer that as we study this topic of peace, that uh, we find things from the Word of God that are true and that can be added to our lives, and it's my prayer that we would add these things to our lives after we discuss them this morning. Now, as we talk about the topic of peace, um, it's hard to think of something else that exists in this world that everyone is behind, everyone thinks is a good thing, everyone wants to happen, and still it just doesn't, does it? You know, everybody thinks that peace is a good thing. Everybody wants to have peace. However, even though we try and we try a lot of different things, it still seems to get away from us. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I feel a little bit set up that Carrie and Craig uh, give me a topic which the Bible clearly says passes all understanding. That's kind of the impossible task as a teacher, uh, to teach something that can't be understood. But all joking aside, we need to talk about this peace that passes all understanding. God understands that we don't have it all together, that we couldn't figure out peace by ourselves. And this peace of God is one that passes all of our understanding. So as we talk about peace this morning, I want to look at what peace is, how we can have peace with God, how we can have peace with ourselves, and how we can have peace with others. Now, it's easy to talk about these things, but hopefully we can give you some techniques to to apply these things to our lives that we can be a more peaceful people and show the peace of God in our lives as we just sung together. Now, we think about some of the the symbols of peace we see in our lives, and I guess those didn't show up there, but there, there are several different symbols that we think of whenever we think of peace. Now, the first one we think of, for me anyway, is uh, the peace sign that we do with our fingers like this. Now, uh, how that actually came about was in, um, I guess, in the World Wars, this was the victory sign. And then the hippies took that over in the 60s and decided they wanted that to make the peace sign, That just to say that war is over. It's focused on war. We think of the olive branch. Think about someone handing you an olive branch of peace. That came from Greek mythology, and actually the god of war uh, is kind of where that came from. Again, circulating around war. What about the circle that you see uh, on the Volkswagens that has kind of like the uh, angles coming down? Well, actually, that came from a British guy, and he decided he wanted to share world peace by talking about uh, uh, the symbols for nuclear disarmament. So I guess there's flags that people use. Uh, and one is N, and uh, this would be uh, D, or the other way around. I don't know. I'm not in the military. But anyway, those are the symbols for nuclear disarmament. So he put those together and said if the whole world could be disarmed of nuclear devices, then we would have peace. Again, circled around war. You know, our minds find it hard to move past war whenever we think of peace. Now, I think it's funny that when we think of peace, the first thing we think of is if we could just stop war then, you know, we'd be peaceful people. And I'm sure we'd be more peaceful if we didn't have war. But God's peace goes so far beyond not killing each other in mass quantities. God's peace is so much more than just that. And we need to open up our minds to, to, to peace that goes beyond that. Now, to think of a more, um, uh, I guess, a more uh, recent 
emblem of peace. Have you ever seen a coexist sticker on the back of somebody's Prius or I shouldn't say that, but other vehicle, but you ever see that coexist sticker or maybe there's another one that says tolerance on it and it has a peace pipe and, and all this kind of stuff on it. That's another symbol of peace that we're being told about today. Now, as we think about those symbols of peace, you know, that goes a little beyond war, but it just talks about, well, real peace is if you just try to ignore that everybody's different, you just try to get rid of all that stuff, and we're just going to coexist together. We're not working towards anything together. We're not achieving anything together. We're just existing side by side. Now, that seems like setting the bar a little low to me, to, to just see, well, can we just sit by each other, and, and that's all I want to go for. You see, that's what the world shows us that peace is. But the Bible teaches us that peace comes from God. Five times in the New Testament, it talks about him being the God of peace. It says, now the God of peace be with you all amen. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So the Bible says over and over and over, and there's other verses we could talk about too, that God is the source of peace. He is a God of peace. Now those symbols of peace we just talked about, the source of peace was the absence of war, right? No, none of those had anything to do with God, but God, we need to find, is the source of peace in our life. And Jesus, uh, we know him as the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So Jesus himself is known as the Prince of Peace. So we have God the Father, the God of peace, the God who is peace himself, and we have his Prince, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, peace on earth, as we would know. In Luke 2, verse 12, that story that we read every Christmas talking about Jesus coming to this earth, and it says, as Jesus comes to earth, it says, on earth peace. It didn't say peace be on earth, but it said Jesus, when Jesus come down, he is peace on the earth. He, he's the one that had come down to bring that peace. The Bible is very consistent in saying that God and Jesus are the sources of peace. In Second John, John 1 verse 3, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Romans 1 verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which, God, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, are we starting to see a a consistent theme here? Are we seeing something that's similar? It's all saying that these things are coming from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important for us to think about. Now, what would it take for us to be at peace with someone? What What do you think it takes to be peaceful with someone here on earth? Whether it be your spouse, whether it be your friend, what does it mean to be peaceful with them? What does it take? Well, I think the first thing is you have to love that person. You probably have to agree with them on some things. 
You probably have to have some trust there in that relationship, have all those things. Now, as we look at our relationships, you know, even our closest relationships with our spouse, are we always at peace with our spouse? No, we strive to be, but it takes a lot of work because we have to make sure we're on the same page. We have to make sure that we're being respectful of each other, that we have that love. We have to make sure that we are uh, being truthful and, and giving trust in our relationship. All those things take a lot of work. And, you know, we see that perfectly in the way, in the relationship of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about the Trinity as a whole, we think about uh, what the Trinity is. Um, again, my picture didn't show up. I guess all the pictures cleared off. Uh, what we think about the Trinity being is we have three separate beings, but at the same time, they're one. Now, isn't that confusing? You know, we still don't really understand how that happens, but we have three beings that are separate, but they have so much unity, and you'll see a lot of links between unity and peace. Uh, a lot of what Seth said, uh, I had to just go ahead and cut out of this sermon and refer back to him. But uh, there's so much in sync, there's so much unity within the Godhead between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, that they are one. They have that peace between them. That's the peace of God that they talk about. So whenever we think about this peace, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, this peace that passes all understanding is that peace that God has. It's that peace that is so in sync, it's so united that they just seem as one. They just become one thing. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Could you ever think about anybody in this world or you yourself with anybody in this world being so at peace, being so united that you're just as one thing and there's never any uh, arguments, there's never any discussion, there's never any problems in that relationship? Have any of us ever had a perfect relationship? You know, it just doesn't happen for us. That's a challenge for us. But God has shown that it can be done. He can, he's shown that this peace can be achieved. And that peace is not a peace that's, um, you know, just a peace of tolerance or a peace of indifference for other people's views. That's not how that peace works. That peace works because it's established on truth and it's established in love. So to be perfectly in sync... They have to have the same truth. They have to be pursuing that same truth. And they have to be pursuing that truth in a way that's loving. That's the path that God shows us is the path to peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, says this to some of his disciples. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled. He looks at these guys, and everybody looks scared. You know, he's about to go to the cross. These guys know it's about to happen. They know what's going to happen. They know he's going to be crucified. He knows they're going to be separated, and these guys are scared. And in that moment, as Jesus knows he's about to be hung on the cross, he looks at his brethren there, and he says, my peace I give to you. That's a really powerful thing that he was so focused on taking care of those guys when he had such a terrible thing looming on the horizon for him. But he had compassion on them. And in a very personal and private moment here, he says, let your heart not be troubled. He's not talking about world peace as a whole. He says, just you right now. I can tell you're troubled. Do not be troubled. Here is my peace. My peace, I live with you. And then he says, not as the world giveth. 
You know, what are some things that the world gives us that we take peace in? You know, the, the, the world can give us peace of mind through a lot of different things. How about safety features in a car? You know, I feel pretty good riding in a car with airbags as opposed to a car that doesn't have airbags or wearing a seatbelt versus not wearing a seatbelt. That's something that gives me a little bit of peace of mind. You know, how about um, some of your uh, insurance that you have? A lot of us spend a lot of money on insurance. I hate spending money on insurance, but the thing is it gives you a relative peace of mind. We've got life insurance, home insurance, car insurance, all different kinds, and we do that solely for the purpose of giving us peace of mind. When something bad happens, this will be our backup. How about our nest eggs or our savings accounts? What about peace through the law or law enforcement? You know, we take a relative peace of mind knowing that we live in the United States and that there are laws and that there are people trying to actually enforce those laws when in so many other nations, if they have laws, nobody really cares if they apply sometimes. And that's something that gives us peace of mind. That's something that gives us pride here on earth to be a part of that group. And then what about uh, your house? You know, I think all of us probably have a lock on our front door. Uh, some places have walls or fences around them. We won't get into that this morning. But, you know, there's all kinds of things we do, security systems, uh, all kinds of things we do to give ourselves security in the place that we dwell. These are all things that we do to make us feel safe. These are peace as the world giveth. But what happens to all those things we talked about? You know, sometimes airbags fail. I've had two airbag recalls on one truck. I don't know how that works, but it doesn't make you feel real good when you think about the shrapnel coming out of your airbag whenever you're in a wreck. That's why they do millions of dollars in recalls. Those kings can fail. The doors, uh, the locks on your doors can be picked. The alarms can be uh, bypassed. You know, the law, as we've seen, is not always instituted in the right way, and the law is not always just. All these things that give us peace of mind on earth, all those things can be torn down. But this peace that Jesus was talking about, this peace that's not of the world, this peace cannot be overcome. This peace is one that the thief cannot come in and take. In John chapter 16, verse 31, it says, Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, now is come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Again, Jesus' disciples, as they're looking at potentially being separated from him soon and knowing he's going to go to the cross, he says, the hour cometh, the time is near. He says, all of us are going to be split up. We're all going to be separated. The bad things are going to happen to us. Worst case scenario is going to happen. He's going to be hung on the cross. I don't think it gets any worse than that. It's about to happen, but he says, I'm not alone because the Father is with me, that you might have this peace. And in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Jesus puts it point blank. The world's going to let us down. The things of peace of the world, they're going to let us down. Tribulation's going to come, but he says he has overcome the world. The peace that God has, the peace that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples here, that was a peace that overcomes anything that the world can throw at it. Now, how do we get this peace? I think the, what we need to focus on first is how we have that peace between us and God, how we establish peace with God. 
Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit and the poison of asp under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and of bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Put short... Everybody sins. Everybody's wrong. You know, we, we build up pride in our lives and we think we do some good things and, and we get built up, but ultimately everybody in this room has made a mistake. Everybody's wrong. And it says if we don't have God before our eyes, the fear of God before our eyes, we will not be able to know the way of peace. The peace just is not going to come with us as long as there is a separation between us and God our Father. As long as we're falling after all these things, as long as we're not accepting God in our lives, it says the peace is just not going to happen. There's a lot of people in this world that try to get peace in their lives, and they dedicate their entire lives to reaching peace in this life. But if they don't have God, it's never going to happen. That's what the scripture's saying. Now, we've all been separated from God. How do we make that reconciled? How do we connect that? In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, if you remember, I just spent two sermons in the last month talking about this one passage right here. Being justified by our faith, our faith being that faith that believes in God, a faith that trusts in God and a faith that obeys God. Now, faith is not just believing that God exists, but a faith that believes in that, believes that this word is true and, and lets that lead to action. Being justified by that faith, it says we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's how we get peace with God. The way we reconcile those differences, all those things we just read, the way we get peace with God is by being justified by faith. Now, what does justified mean? Justified means that we were found just. Now, God is perfect. And when God looks at something that's wrong, he can't call it right. He just can't do that. But because through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice for us, he made a way where we could accept his blood and be justified before God through faith, through that obedient faith. It says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When we've been justified, we can stand in the grace of Jesus Christ. When we make a mistake, we have forgiveness available to us. We have that grace available and we can stand with a hope of something beyond this life. So what he says here is by our faith, we're justified, we're made right. Things are made peaceful with God and we have a way to be continually forgiven to have that grace and have a hope for something beyond this life, which is not going to be peaceful. We're not going to find perfect world peace in our lifetime. But that's how uh, we are reconciled with God. 
If you would, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I didn't put this one on the board. I want everybody to open up their Bibles if they have one there and read this with me. In Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to go ahead and start in verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So to put that simply, what it means is talking about the Jews and Gentiles there. All of us would be probably considered Gentiles this morning, saying, the Jews said you didn't have God, that you were outcast of God. You know, they weren't a part of God. There's a little bit of racism there too, but it says despite all those things, you found yourself without the promise of God, without hope. That's where we find ourselves before we make that reconciliation. In verse 13 it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So what made the difference here? It says you were separated from God, you were far out. It says you've been brought close to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, For he who is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. It says that blood through Jesus Christ, it says that he's made peace. It says he is our peace, who made both one, and broke down the partition that was between us. Remember what we were talking about, how peace is when things are completely unified and are completely made one. It says Jesus is our peace. He is what made us one with God and his blood that has done that. In verse 15, it says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, for to whom made himself of twain one new man, so making peace. It says it was that making of the one man, putting apart the separation, putting apart the bad things, the making of one man that produced peace. In verse 16, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy thereby. Again, that body is joined together, how? Through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. If it weren't for the cross, if it weren't for the blood of Jesus, this wouldn't be possible. In verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore there are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and in the household of God. So he says, Because of that joining together, and because of the peace that was preached, the peace being the gospel, the gospel that was preached, because of that peace, it says we have access to God the Father. We've, we've healed up that relationship. We have access to God. And we are no more strangers or foreigners or fellow citizens. Now, that's a goal of worldly peace, to have everybody united despite their race, despite how much money they make, despite where their citizenship lies, despite all those things. And here it says that is achieved through Christ Jesus and God. In verse 20, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and whom all the building, firm, uh, building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord and whom ye also are builded, uh, builded together for a habitation of God 
through the Spirit. So what he says is because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because of the blood that was shed, it doesn't matter where we came from, it doesn't matter uh, what race we came from, it doesn't matter what country we live in, it doesn't matter any of those things, whatever differentiates us in this life, it doesn't matter. All people have been given access to that blood of Jesus Christ. And when that blood of Jesus Christ has been accepted, they're united, the relationship with God is healed, those things have been made right, And it says that a new house is built, God's church. His church is built based on the foundations of the things we read in the scriptures, the prophets, the apostles, and based on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, it wouldn't happen. And this new united group is raised together. Praise God that he offered that way to create peace in this life. Now, the important thing to think about with this is when he promised peace, he did not promise peace in the United States. He did not promise peace in the state of Texas. He didn't promise peace at my work. He didn't promise peace at my school. He promised that God's church, if it was based on the right foundation, based on the blood of Jesus Christ, that we could have peace with God. The peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that goes beyond anything we're worried about here in this world. It's a great peace. In Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. I think this summarizes everything we just talked about. He said that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't lift one person over another. But in every nation, if you're fearing God and you're working towards righteousness, you can be accepted by God. No, the bar has been set and it's not going to change. The rules aren't going to change. If we're fearing God, if we're trying to follow after God and we're, and we're heeding his word and, and we take that, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we accept that in our lives through the gospel, then we will find ourselves at peace through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God when we accept his son. We can have that peace of God. Now, God has set out the plan to have peace with him. How about peace with ourselves? Now, a lot of times we struggle with this as well. How do we come at peace with ourselves? The first step to having inward peace or peace within yourself is definitely making things right with God because you can have your conscience cleared. You can know that those sins you've done in the past have been forgiven and you have something to work towards. You have something to look forward to. Without that, We're not going to ever have peace with ourselves or peace with others. So that's the first step. But to have peace with ourselves, the Bible gives us some additional pointers. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So he talks about several things that help us have this peace. He says, the believing, the hope, and the power of the Holy Ghost. And this hope is going to fill us with joy and peace. This hope is what helps us. And remember, we don't have hope. If we don't have that relationship reconciled with God. If we continue reading Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 to 13, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know, I've always been jealous of Paul when he said this, because I just don't know how often I could feel that way and say it with 100% certainty. But He meant this when he said it. He says, it doesn't matter what's happening to me on this earth. If I'm down at the bottom, if I'm up at the top, if I'm full or if I'm hungry, 
If I'm abounding or if I have things I need, he says, it doesn't matter. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. This is an attitude of a peaceful person. This person is not riding the roller coaster with life. This person is staying straight as all the things of life happen to him, right? Now, what is his focus on? His focus is on the hope that he has in God. I think it's interesting that, um, uh, you know, Eastern philosophy, the whole idea of peace in Eastern philosophy is focused on meditation on things that stay still. They'll tell you to think about your heartbeat and meditate on that or think about your breath or they'll ring certain bells or something like that, something that doesn't change. No, God's given us something better. He's given us an eternal hope, and he's given us his word, and those are the things that we meditate on. When we find ourselves in turmoil in our lives, we can focus on that hope that we have. We can focus and know that we've been made right with God, and we have a hope. We have something that's laid before us. We have something to focus on. That's something that can help us provide uh, peace in our lives. And I And this is the goal right here. No matter what is happening to us in life, that we can remain steadfast, that we can have that peace in our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. I want to start out by looking at this first part. Flee useful lust, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord. No, peace is not something that happens to us. Now, whenever, uh, whenever I was washed in the blood of Christ, when I was baptized, and I came up and I had my sins forgiven, there's certainly a moment of peace when that happens. You know that you have that freedom. That's what we've talked about. That's the first initial bit of peace we have. But it says that this peace is something that we have to follow. It's something that we have to pursue. It's something that we have to try for. Now, let's look at these other things. How about righteousness? Does righteousness come naturally to you? Whenever you uh, are living your life, is it just easy for you to always make the right decision? Is it easy for you to always be right? No, that's not the case for me. It's very hard for me to be right. And um, it's very hard for me to always make the righteous decision, to look at the Word of God and say, I'm going to do what God says. That's a challenge. That's something I have to work at. That's something I have to follow. Notice here that peace is put in that same category. Peace is something that takes effort on our part. It's not something that uh, just comes naturally to us in life. It's something we have to work towards. We have to work towards that peace. And what's one of the things he says is an evidence of peace and a working of peace? It's sharing the gospel with other people. He says, And a servant of the Lord, so must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. He says, Whenever other people don't have peace in their life, when they're opposing themselves, when they have all this turmoil in their life, what a peaceful person does is to share the peace that they have with them. And it says all these attitudes. Now, it's a fine line for us when we have the truth. Sometimes we can be built up with pride. And that comes across when we try to share the truth with people. Now, if somebody says, I have the truth and you're going to do it if you like it or not, how well perceived is that going to be? It's just not going to happen. You see, the truth has to be coupled with love. And a peaceful person can couple that truth and that love and gently 
aptly, patiently, and meekly instruct people. Now, um, I haven't really gotten to this point with my own daughter. She's not really, I'm not really telling her to do anything. We're just kind of going day by day and from, from eat to sleep to diaper. That's all we're doing right now. But, uh, you know, I did babysit um, my niece a while back, and she's old enough to where uh, there are certain instructions that she should hear, that she should listen to. Now, it's a challenge to gently aptly, patiently, and meekly go before that two-year-old and say, you need to do this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a challenge. Because I know the right thing for her to do. But there's a lot of spirits going out there. She's very strong-willed herself. Do we expect it to be any different when we go up to someone and try to share the gospel and try to share the truth and the peace of God with them? They've got their own beliefs. They've got their own things that they follow after. And it's going to be just as challenging for us to gently, aptly, patiently and meekly instruct those people and share that peace with them. Well, that's a sacrifice on your part. That's a sacrifice on your part to, to put your pride down and to, in the spirit of Jesus, take on that attitude as a teacher and to share. But we have to share this peace with other people. It says in verse, um, it says in verse 26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. It says those people are just in the snare of the devil. They're trapped by the devil, and we need to help them out of those things. We need to help share that peace. And if we don't find ourselves sharing the gospel with other people, then how is peace affecting our lives? Now, the peace is not affecting our lives as much as it should. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Again, a passage summarizing the things that we've talked about. He says that this peace is something that we need to pray for, and we need to pray that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. And, and I think it's interesting to say that he's still putting this in the hands of the kings, of the leaders of the land. He's saying those people are going to decide whether your life is peaceable or not. They definitely have a stake in your worldly peace. But he says, pray for a quiet and peaceful life. He says, that's a good thing in the eyes of God. But it says also that God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all men to have the peace that he offers. For there's only one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There's only one path to that peace. Now that brings us to having peace with others. Now, peace with others, uh, as we've already uh, gotten to, can be a big challenge because others don't always want to be peaceful with us, right? It's easy for us to point over at the other guy and say, I'm the one being peaceable here. He's the one not being peaceable. I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat through that went like that at work. <laughs> but we need to have peace with our fellow man. We're called by God not only to live peaceably with him and ourselves, but also to live that way with our fellow man. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. He said that this peace ruling in our hearts, uh, because we're called to be one body. 
We need to have this peace in our hearts because we're called to be one. We're called to be unified. We're called to express the peace that God offers. Now, if we don't have ourselves peaceful with God, if we don't have peace within ourselves, we can't go about being peaceful with another body of people. We can't even uh, approach that subject until we get there. But that should be a goal for us as the body of Christ, as His church. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good old days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and the ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? He starts out by saying, you've got to put your own desires aside. You've got to put your own pride aside in order to be peaceful with your brethren. And he says, and we need to be people who are always seeking peace. And he closes it out by saying, and you've got to remember the peace that you have. You've got to remember that, um, that we're followers of God and God has overcome the world. You've got to be followers of him. Now, it's really hard for us to put our, our pride aside in these parts. Um, rendering evil for evil. Did you ever have a, a never-ending hit fight with your sibling? You know, your sibling hits you once, so it's only fair that you get to hit them one more time. But you hit them harder, so then they get to hit you one more time because that's what's fair. And then you got to hit them one more time because that's what's fair. And the fairness battle never ends. And the fairness battle is usually never fair either. But we get ourselves into those kind of things all the time. When we feel slighted by somebody and our pride is hurt and we slight them back or somebody hurts our our feelings or somebody harms us and we try to harm them back. We do evil for evil. We do railing for railing. Somebody starts a rumor about you, so you start a rumor about them. How many times do we feel that urge and that temptation to make things even in our own minds? But it says we need to put that aside. And as long as we're trying to get even, we're not seeking peace We're not putting away evil and doing good, but we need to set those things aside. And with our brethren, with other people in the world, we need to put our pride aside and focus on what? We need to focus on truth and we need to focus on love. What's the truth and how can I tell the truth in a loving way? And if we remain focused on those things, then we'll be people who seek peace. Now, I had another uh, picture there uh, that had uh, truth and love. Now, think about... Uh, the coexist sticker is what I had in there. Now, coexist. Now, does coexist speak out of truth and out of love? Now, I, I pick on the coexist sticker because I really think that's the majority of what people who say they're peaceful in this life, who pursue peace in their life, show as the solution. They show that, uh, you know, just, just coexisting with people is the solution for peace in our world. But is that based in truth? You know, you have all those different symbols of all these different faiths. Does that say that there's something that's true? All that says is that you just deal with what you want to deal with. It doesn't say anything about truth. Now, what about love? You know, we hear a lot of defenders of Islam talk about what a loving religion that is, but we see evidence of that not being very loving. You know, we see, um, you know, evidence of Christianity in a lot of times not being pursued in a loving way. And unless we're truly seeking to go after truth and love, the coexist model just does not work. It does not lead to peace. Peace is only achieved 
whenever we focus on God and sharing His truth in a loving way. And that's the peace that can be achieved. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. He says, if we want God and this peace of God to be around us, we need to be living in peace. We need to try to be peacemakers in our life here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. Now, this was talking about some disputes that the early church had. The early church had a lot of traditions, like Jews have traditions today. You can't eat certain things. You can't do certain things. And whenever those traditions were thrown away by God and these Gentiles come in who who eat all the things that the Jews couldn't eat, they said, uh, you know, who's right? Who, Who wins this argument? What's the truth? What's the answer that says, well... The truth here is that it doesn't matter, but the answer is to do it in a loving way and watch out for your brother. Let not your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not whether they can eat that meat or drink lawfully. It's Is it righteous? Is it peaceful? Is it joyful in the Holy Ghost? Is this something that's going to build my brother up is the last question there. Let's therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. Is this going to help my brother out? You know, we're, it's really easy for us to understand the truth. You know, God gave us the truth in his scriptures, and it's very easy for us to read the truth and to understand it. God made it that way for us. But this is what's challenging for us to do, and that is to share it in love. I want to encourage you, even whenever you know you're right about something, or if you know the answer, is you expressing that? Are you going to express that in a way of love? And are you going to express that in a way that's going to build somebody up, edify somebody, or help somebody out? Now, this is a very challenging thing to do, but I think this is the key to being at peace with your fellow man. You're worried about what your fellow man needs. You're worried about bringing him to that peace of God, and that will help us be peaceful people on this earth. Now, as we think about peace overall, we talked about what peace is. We talked about um, letting us seek a peace that comes from God, not a peace that comes from the earth. Because all those pieces of the earth are just going to fall away. They can be gotten rid of. But the peace of God, the one that passes all understanding, is the one that endures forever from the one that overcomes the world. And when we think about our peace with God, we need to understand that we're all sinners And we all need to reconcile that relationship. We all need the blood of Christ to wash our sins away so that we can have that peace with God. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs that in our lives. We also, when we think about peace with ourselves, we need to understand that an inward peace can only come from God. 
And inward peace can only come when we have things reconciled with God and we can look to God and an unchanging hope and an unchanging faith in Him can be our anchor through all the ups and downs in life. We can only achieve that inward peace with God as we think about peace with others. The peace with others is relying on us being at peace with God, relying on us being peaceful in ourselves, and it's relying on us putting our pride aside, taking the truth, and being able to make the decision to share it in a loving way. And whenever we find ourselves wrong, not in the truth, then we set the pride aside and come to the truth in a loving way. It's our key to having peace with others. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's seek to have this peace of God, the peace that passes all understanding. Let's keep it in our hearts and minds and with our focus on Jesus Christ. If you look at your life this morning and you find yourself lacking in peace, why are you lacking in peace? Have you had peace between you and God or is there still enmity between you and God? Do you still have sins in your life that are separating you from God? If you have sin in your life separating you and God, and you haven't accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, you haven't been washed in His blood to wash your sins away, and to have that relationship renewed, peace will not come to you in life. And peace definitely won't come to you in eternity. You must reconcile that relationship with God. We encourage you to reconcile that relationship today. All you have to do is come forward, make the confession of faith, saying that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and when He was hanging on that cross, His blood was shed for you and your sins that you could be forgiven and that relationship could be healed. Repent of the sins that you've done in the past. Put those things away and move forward. Be baptized and live a life that's pleasing to God. You can reconcile that relationship this morning. You find yourself not at peace within yourself. Maybe you find yourself struggling with sin. Maybe you're struggling with something that's drawing you away from that relationship that you have with God. And we'd be happy to pray for you that your spirit could be renewed in peace, that you could come forward and you could confess those sins, that you could give yourself a clean slate and know that you have peace within your spirit. And the last one, how about peace with others? Are you at peace with your fellow man? you find yourself able to share the hope and the joy that you have through Christ with other people? Do you find yourself able to bring peace to this world through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you need help doing that? We'd be happy to pray for you that you could do that. If you find yourself in any of these situations, please come forward as we sing the song of invitation.